Send Sensor podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to follow our new episodes and leave a review as it really keeps me motivated to make more episodes. For more free resources on how to avoid and recover from toxic relationships and difficult breakups, check out the link in the description. You can also grab the free guide and webinar giving you the tools to spot toxic dating partners and heal if you've been unlucky to date one. I've also just launched the Toxic Relationship Recovery Program that will teach you everything you need to know on how to stay clear of a toxic dating partner, develop a shield so they don't target you, spot all the red flags and manipulation strategies, make better partner choices in the future, and how to heal and end people-pleasing and set clear boundaries so you'll never have to go through this again. You can find the link in the description below. I'm so excited to have Stephanie on the podcast today. We will be talking about manipulation strategies and gaslighting and how to spot it and not be sucked into that spider web where you feel trapped and can't really escape again um, and get part of that abusive relationship dynamic. So let's jump over and speak to Stephanie. Yeah, thank you so much, Stephanie, for coming on the podcast. And I just want to really shortly, obviously, Stephanie, you're a psychotherapist, if I'm correct, and also the author, I think, of seven books. Is that true? Um, right. And I think we'll focus probably on, on one of them today. And again, you can obviously introduce the other books at the end and we'll we'll put links in the description where people can come check out your books, which I definitely recommend. But I think the reason I reached out to you was specifically about gaslighting and manipulation, because I think that's very much what my audience um, who are coming here, like are interested in learning about, etc. And mm-hmm. I had a personal experience with this because I dated somebody with borderline personality disorder who had Mm -hmm. also some narcissistic traits. So it took me about six months to start making sense of the world again and understanding that I was not the crazy one. Um, Mm -hmm. And and I know the devastating impact of starting to doubt your own reality, Um, you know, and Mm -hmm. this is why I think it's so important that we start helping people understanding this so they can see what's going on. I call it the the spider web. I say, you know, if you don't see the Mm -hmm. spiders laying the web around you, suddenly one day you're entangled and you can't get out. Right. But if you can see the web being laid, then you can rip it apart and just walk away. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think that's kind of my analogy when people say, what is gaslighting? I said, it's a spider web. And if you can learn to see the spider web, then you can get entangled before you're trapped. Right. Um, that's a, that's a really good metaphor. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Cause you can see how spiders trap animals in nature. Right. And it's, I think if, mm-hmm. if it, the net is not fully laid, you're still in time to walk away. But once you're actually entangled, it's really difficult to get out. Right. Which is what we see. Right. And what I experience right. in these toxic relationships that people don't understand if they haven't had it, because it's not a normal breakup. You are addicted. You're it's mm-hmm. actually like being in an addiction. Right. And you had, mm-hmm. we'll talk more about intermittent reinforcement later, but they don't understand this need to go back to something that's harmful for you. Um, yeah. And hopefully we can help maybe put some light. But I think, you know, first of all, yeah, thank you so much for coming on board. And uh, I thought to we start by maybe just explaining what gaslighting is, because some people might be sitting out there and thinking, what are they talking about? Sure. Uh, gaslighting is a form of emotional abuse, and the purpose is to make you question your reality. So the perpetrator does it in order to keep you off balance. And the more that you have to rely on them for their version of reality, the more dependent and isolated you become. And that's what they really want. They want all the focus to be on them uh, because they have this bottomless pit of narcissistic need and they want someone to give them narcissistic supply. But no matter how many times that you try to give the narcissistic supply or you're available to them and still never enough. Uh, And they'll do things like tell you that what you saw and heard isn't what happened. They will tell you that, uh, that you're so irresponsible and they'll hide your items on you and blame you for it. Uh, That's extreme cases. They'll also accuse you of things and go through your phone when they're having inappropriate behavior. So uh, that's called projection. So uh, there are many different ways that the gaslighter tries to get control over someone. Yeah, thank you for highlighting a few examples. I've been through all those, so <laughs> they're very ah. true. And uh, and I think there is a, even though, of course, we distinguish between the personality disorder, narcissism, uh, antisocial, uh, borderline, histrionic, I still find that there's a lot of overlaps, which again is why they're in the same cluster B category, right? And I find mm-hmm. people often say, oh, but borderlines don't do that. And I found that to be not correct. I find that very often people with borderline will also do some of these behaviors that often also is associated with obviously with narcissism, etc. And mm-hmm. I know personally, definitely, I was exposed to a lot of the gaslighting and examples you just said right now, including the phone when she was cheating, she would be going through my phone and accuse me of cheating. 
um, when she was using different... That's a very common practice for yeah. gaslighters, yes. And it was so interesting yeah. because, you know, uh, even when she was doing triangulation and were using different people to make me jealous and feel insecure, mm -hmm. she kept telling me that, uh, that I was talking a lot about my exes and I never talk about my exes. And I was so confused because mm -hmm. nobody had ever said this to me before ever. Mm -hmm. And I started thinking, am I talking too much? But I never talk about them. And then I realized afterwards, well, she was the one talking, not me. Like you said, the projection uh, that mm -hmm. makes you start doubting. Is it really me or is right. it not? Is my perception right? right? Um, so I really like that. What do you think maybe are some red flags that are possible to spot early to kind of pick out these people before? Because once we're emotionally attached, as you know as well, mm -hmm. it's really hard to get out. So what are ways right. that we can spot them early before we're stuck in that web? <laughs> I, I think on a first date, someone that, that pushes too hard for you to get into a relationship or to move in together, so they may even bring it up the first time you meet them. Uh, there's a thing called love bombing that happens with gaslighters. And so they'll tell you how wonderful you are. You're the best thing that ever happened to them. And if you hear that, you want to run. <laughs> because when you hear that you're the best person ever, it feels really good. But also it's a sign that something's off. And also someone that treats the waitstaff at the restaurant poorly. Uh, someone that that you, they're not minding what they look like as far as you know showing their power over people. And they do that in front of you. Uh, it's also people that will maybe if you're doing online dating, that they're not really truthful on their profile. They show up and it's a different person. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, someone that uh, just makes you feel unsafe. I think that's really important to listen to your intuition, that if something feels wrong or off, we need to listen to that. And it's okay to leave a date in the middle and just say, hey, here's here's my part of the tab, here, here's my part of the meal, and just walk off. Because the more time you spend with someone like this, the, the closer you get to being in, ensnared in that web. Yeah. So it's really important that we listen to that inner voice. Yeah. And I think when you say inner voice, I, I think that's so true. And I think I want to add the thing of also listening to our sensations, because I think we are in a culture mm -hmm. when we have, you know, this romanticized idea where we often just let emotion drag us along or we value right. logical thinking. But often we don't actually have learned to listen to our body. Right. And I trained in mm -hmm. somatic therapy. And I what I found when I look back at this experience I had, I remember that emotionally it felt great because I was being idolized, like you said, love bombed. And, you know, mm -hmm. nobody has ever glorified right. me in this way ever before. So, of course, right. it feels great for your ego. Um, so emotionally, it felt nice. Logically, you know, I was swept away and couldn't really make sense of what. But I remember in my stomach having this cringe contraction when for a moment her mask slipped, you know, in, in the fakeness in the beginning where she talked about her ex and got cancer. And she basically laughed at the fact that he got mm. cancer and said, oh, he was a liability okay. like a child. And I just remember mm. the lack of empathy made my stomach crunch. And afterwards mm -hmm. I rationalized it and say, oh, maybe I misheard it because she said I had misheard right. it, right? But I think right. it's also trusting that our body actually sends us signals, like you said, when we feel unsafe, mm -hmm. right? They, right? Whether it's a stomach, whether it's our breath, whether it's our jaw tensing, our body communicate, mm -hmm. I think, when we, have, when we are unsafe. And I think right. it's really good if we can learn to kind of listen to that, don't you think, and take that in as well? Yes. Yes, it's really important to pay attention. And I would also look at paying attention to yourself during the day, just doing a check-in, do a scan from head to toe and say, how am I feeling right now? And the more we practice that and the more we listen to ourselves, the more we're going to pay attention when something feels off to us. And there's a predator prey a reaction we have biologically that when you're around someone that's threatening to you, you sometimes we feel the hairs in the back of our neck stand up. Mm -hmm. And sometimes people have been around this type of person and have felt that sensation. And that's a sign to get out. So we really need to listen to that. If, if some, if your body's on high alert yeah. uh, and also I, I heard a quote from someone, I can't remember who this is. that said that the butterflies you feel when you first meet someone also or the sensation that you feel when you have red flags, when you have warnings about someone. Yeah. I think that's important to know that, that, that the exciting feeling that you're connecting with someone can also be a sign of, of there's something off too. And so that can be really hard to tell one from the other, yeah. but it's really important to look at that. And again, anybody that pushes too hard for you to um, start a relationship right away to move in with them. Um, someone that when you say, I need to leave, they try to block you from leaving or try to guilt you into staying uh, at the table at the restaurant. That's something else in the very beginning you have to look at. Because what uh, what people that are gaslighters do is they'll idealize you. They'll put you up on a pedestal. 
And then eventually you fall off the pedestal and it's a long way down. So then, then they tell you that you can't do anything right. So they first tell you you can do no wrong, then it's you can do no right. And people tend to blame themselves. And they wonder, what did I do that made the person do this? Because we have cognitive dissonance, which means that, that if you think people are generally good and all of a sudden you have this person that's treated you well and they treat you poorly, it really doesn't make sense to us. And so we naturally blame ourselves. And so that's something important to realize that if you're blaming yourself, you really need to look at maybe I'm with someone that's not healthy. I think, you know, and I'm so happy you you bring this up because I think we often have this idea that the toxic people are the, the weird person sitting in the corner, right? Not talking to anyone, but that's not true. And I think what you're saying here is it actually makes us feel great. And actually, you know, mm-hmm. and, I, and most people are not aware of this. I didn't used to be aware of this, that the most toxic people are also the most charming um, you know, they mm-hmm. can be extremely, and like you said, just to summarize some of what you said, there's a high intensity. So it's intense right. and speed, like you said, right? It's like they shower mm-hmm. you with compliments, probably in a way you never felt before. Like you said, they right. they will talk about commitments really quickly. I think you mentioned that mm-hmm. as well, whether it's moving in together, having kids, getting married, because they want to push quickly to get to an investment, right? Because then right. Like, at that point, we're less likely to leave. Um I think what I experience a lot, especially with the borderline, because they lack a sense of identity. And I guess the narcissist mm-hmm. and psychopath, sociopath, they can just match their identity to you. It was this mm-hmm. mirroring where she would ask me, it almost was like a spotlight. I never had someone give me that much attention and ask me that many questions. And I only found mm-hmm. out later. In the beginning, it feels like they're your perfect match, right? Because it's like, I have this right. interest. Oh, she has the same. I like this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, I have this value. She has the same. The goal, if, too, if it's right. too perfect a fit, and it doesn't feel like there's two separate identities. Then I found out as well, it's also a warning sign, you know. While it's great to have right. some commonalities, two healthy human beings don't match in every area of life. They just don't, right? right? So if everything is matching, I would also say it could be a potentially a warning sign, right? At least to look out for. Exactly. Um, right. Yeah. And like you said, they talk about the future. I know you mentioned that. You talked about entitlement, I think you mentioned, right? Around mm-hmm. the narcissist and how they might treat the waitress badly, you said, if they don't get this special mm-hmm. treatment, right? Um, which was a really good one, actually. So I wanted to mention that. And also you mentioned, which I really liked, because I think that's an important test. You mentioned if they try to block you from leaving. So basically what you're saying is, if you have set a boundary and they don't respect your boundary, then that's a big warning sign, right? Because toxic people right. don't respect your boundaries. Um, right. And I found- This is someone that, that you, oh, go ahead, sorry. No, I just found that to be a good early test to like purposefully mm-hmm. try and set a boundary with a date and see whether mm-hmm. they actually respect it and at least can hear you, you know, or whether they try, mm-hmm. like you say, to disacknowledge it because that could be a potential warning sign. Right. I think it's really important to also look at what what boundaries are. So as a human being, you have the right to say no at any time. You have the right to change your mind at any time. You have the right to feel safe and you have the right to do less than what's humanly possible. So uh, it's really important to look at what are your boundaries and what do you do when someone tries to purposely undermine those? And a boundary could be that someone speaks to me with respect. Uh, I treat people the the way that I would like to be treated. Those are some good boundaries. Uh, Boundaries could be also... Uh, if this person comes to my house unannounced, I don't, I don't answer the door. That could be a boundary of yours too, because that's something that someone's violating your right to be told that someone's going to appear, right? Because that could really throw people off kilter if someone just shows up out of nowhere. Yeah. So again, that could be a boundary that you set. And I think sometimes we don't really know what our boundaries are until we run up against people that try to uh, dismantle them. So it's really important to look at what are your important values in life? What are you looking for in a relationship? And sometimes what I recommend that people do when they're dating is to make a list of what you're looking for in someone. And when you meet someone and you feel that sense of, wow, I'm really connecting this person. I really like them. Take a look at that list and see what really matches. Cause like you said, emotions take over and your logic doesn't kick in. And so if you look at that list and you say, oh, respectful towards people. Oh, well, the wait staff, they yelled at this person on our first date. Maybe that's a sign that it's not an okay person. So I think it's, it's helpful to do a reality check and look through that list. And I recommend that that list has positives in it. So instead of doesn't interrupt me, it's, you know, lets me speak, uh, treats me respectfully, uh, anything that you feel is something that you're looking for in a partner and you can get as detailed as possible. And I think it's really helpful to have that to look at, especially when you're wondering if, if this is the right person for you. I really like that point because I think, so you said it around boundaries and what you want in a partner, because it comes back to 
self-awareness, the more aware, and of course that's what you help people with as well as a therapist, right? The more aware we are, the less likely we are to be pulled into somebody else's reality, right? The less we know about ourselves, the easier it is to get sucked into somebody else, which is what they're preying on, right? Um, right. That, that they can do that. And I think I love what you said about the boundaries, about like the door, and even simple things, how much time, uh, I, this is things I realized afterwards, a bit mm -hmm. too late, but at least now, how much time do I want to spend with somebody? Because the borderline wants you around all the time and narcissists want attention mm -hmm. all the time. But you know, how much energy and time do I want to give and how much space do I need? Even being clear about simple things like this, right? And what am I willing right. to give up when I'm in a new dating experience? Because it's easy to suddenly give everything up, which I did. And you only realize later. Right. And now I can be much more calm and say, actually, no, I'm not willing to give up seeing my friends once a week. And they mm -hmm. have to respect that if they want to date me. Otherwise, I'm not going to date them. Um, so I think you're right. so right. This basic right to say, actually, this is how I want to live my life. And I don't want to be sucked into your reality, you know? Right. And how much time, like you said, you know, how much time is for yourself and how much time is for the relationship and, and being pretty clear about that. Like you said, you, you have time with your friends and that's important and that you're not willing to compromise on that. Um, there are things that are, that, that are okay to compromise on things that we shouldn't compromise on, which is, which is your personal integrity and your time, you know, outside, whether it's with an interest or with, whether it's with friends, or we really need to look at who are we and, you know, what percentage of our lives we're willing to devote to this relationship wow. and also together in alone time. And that's something important for couples to talk about too. What, what, amount of together time are you okay with and alone time and sometimes if it's someone that's a gaslighter they may say in the beginning that they want you know, equal time together and apart but over time you'll start seeing that they're trying to get you to quit your job and stay at home with them or uh, they are trying to guilt you and shame you into not spending time with your friends by saying that your friends are are bad people or that your friends influence you in a bad way is what they'll say or uh, they'll start, you know, triangulating, like you mentioned, talk about you to other people, or they'll say to you, oh, well, your friend said, you know, this terrible thing about you. And so you get mad at your friend and that's what they want. They want you to get mad at your friends and family. So you again are more isolated with them. So we have to be really careful about respecting that personal space that we have. Yeah. I think, thank you for bringing that up. And also what I thought is, would you be able maybe to give some examples of how it looks like this love bombing? Because again, people hear these expressions, mm -hmm. but I know until I experienced it, it was hard to understand what it actually meant. You know, I read in a book, love bombing, blah, blah, blah. And I heard the expression, but I never got it until I got, you know, text messages after having dated her for a few weeks saying, oh, you're the love of my life. I never imagined anyone like you. So could you maybe give some right. examples of this, like how it looks like so people have an idea if they see it, they can be like, oh, this might be a warning sign. Sure. It's uh, idealizing you. So telling you again, that you're the best person in the world, that they've never been anybody like you. They've been treated so poorly in the past and you're treating them so well. Anything that idealizes you or makes you look like you're the best ever. Uh, and again, any statements like that are a red flag. Also uh, wanting to spend so much time together very quickly. And I think we get this confused. I think in movies uh, and TV shows, we see this, uh, this romantic love where somebody swept off their feet. That's also the sign of love bombing is when you're swept off your feet, where you're told that, that, you know, that you are, the, are perfect and you are um, everything that someone wants. Now, again, if you meet somebody you really connect with, Saying those things once in a while, probably not an issue because sometimes you'll just say, you know what, you're perfect. You're perfect for me. Um, I've never met anybody like you. That by itself is not a warning sign, but all those things together and someone is continually trying to contact you, uh, not giving you any space, uh, telling you that they want to move in with you, talking about commitment very early on. And again, sometimes you just meet somebody and you go, oh, we really connect. But this is on a level where it's too much too soon. So we look at the amount of information you're being given. Also being asked very personal questions very early on in the relationship, like what are your darkest fears? Uh, what are you most disappointed about in life? Because what they're doing is they're not listening to connect with you or get emotional intimacy. They're listening to collect ammunition. And when the devaluing process starts or when you fall off the pedestal, They'll start bringing it up. They'll say, oh, well, no wonder you're acting like this. No wonder your sister doesn't talk to you anymore because of this. And they'll say things like that. So again, be careful if people are asking you 
too many personal questions at the beginning. And again, there's in a healthy relationship, you build emotional intimacy by talking about wants and needs, but this is to a different degree. This is asking deeply personal questions very early on. It's also uh, being so smothering with your time that you aren't even able to make a phone call to friends and family, uh, that this person needs something right away when you're on the phone. So it's not giving you that personal space. It's uh, if you state, you know, hey, I need some time by myself, instead of saying, okay, and then backing off, they will actually pursue you more. So that's another thing to look for too. And again, when you have someone that's telling you all these things, it feels really good because we like people to like us and we get, you know, a, a boost of dopamine um, and oxytocin. So when we meet somebody we really like and we come close with them, but again, we need to look at the rational part of our brain, which is a healthy relationship tends to start off. It can increase quickly, but it starts off a little bit slowly getting to know each other and then you connect instead of connection right at the beginning. And then, and then uh, this kind of fireworks and grand gestures, grand gestures are another thing I think to watch out for. And that's, again, this is, this has been romanticized in movies that when someone does something that's above and beyond how wonderful it is, but now it's kind of a, it's kind of a, a warning. So if someone has, you know, a thousand flowers delivered to your door, you know, that's a, that's a bad sign. Um, I think that usually we take that as, Oh, look, the person likes me so much. But again, the you know, grand gestures are can be a sign of an unhealthy relationship, yeah. Especially after it, if it follows having a conflict, because there's a cycle of abuse. There's a buildup, the explosion, a resolution or a remorse period, and then a honeymoon phase. So, so you have the the fight, and then the person may be remorseful. Although gaslighters very rarely say they're sorry, they'll still put it on you as it, it's your fault. And then the honeymoon phase is everything's going great, but then that's just a buildup towards the fight again. So it's a circle of behavior. And the more you stay with a person like this, the worse the fights get, where they will segue from emotional abuse into possibly physical abuse. Yeah, thank you for like thank you for bringing this up, and I think. What you describe also is why I think one of the best simple strategies, except boundaries and other things we'll talk about is to slow down. I always say love is mm -hmm. slow. Unlike what you said, we learned and romanticized in Hollywood movies. Love is slow. It's built over consistency, slowly getting to mm -hmm. know someone and giving them acceptance, creating mutuality and safety. And all these things take time. I always say what comes quick goes quick, you know, and that's what mm -hmm. I learned that real love is slow. And what's the rush? If you're gonna spend the rest of your life with this person, why are you in such a rush, you know? So I think mm -hmm. one of the best defenses is to slow down because they can't keep this hidden for for that long, you know? I, it's interesting, I read so many stories online, both on narcissism and borderline, and out of these hundreds of stories, I calculated that the average time that, that traits show up based on about 100 stories or so is about six months. So I say at least mm -hmm. within the first 12 months, you will have a pretty clear idea um, right. which is why I always say don't make any commitments within the first 12 months, like moving in together, kids, marriage, don't even think about it. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't know if you agree, but I just feel that, you know, time is our friend. And also I learned the right. difference between vulnerability because vulnerability is beautiful and important to intimacy. Mm -hmm. But I learned the difference between emotional dumping and vulnerability. And what they do is emotional right. dumping to try and buy mm -hmm. into your empathy and get emotional investment and in trying to help them and rescue them. So you get invested. Vulnerability is a slow process again over time. As somebody earn your trust, you know, you open up a bit more and more. Right. It's not telling them about all your childhood trauma on the third date, you know, and I mistakenly right. thought, oh, she's being so vulnerable with me because I was mm -hmm. under my bias. Like you said in the beginning, I presumed everybody is just nice like me. So I couldn't right. imagine right. that what I was being exposed to. Um, and again, it comes back to the slowness, right? that we can actually slow down and we are supposed to open up really slowly. See if this person over right. time is consistent. See if they give you acceptance instead of judgments, you know, mm -hmm. rather than, and also the same, if somebody dumps everything on you on the third date, then that's a warning sign. You know, if they suddenly tell you all their trauma and expect you to hold that, that's not a good sign. <laughs> right. I think you brought up uh, two points. One is the, the earning trust. People need to earn or trust or earn our vulnerability and the emotional dumping. I think that that's something that's pretty prevalent. And, and like you explained, that's someone telling you on the third date about their childhood trauma, telling you too much too soon. Uh, and the idea behind that is that trying to trying to reel you in 
And again, uh, it's it's false vulnerability. Now, I think it's important to share things about your past. But again, like you said, it's it's in a measured way, in a slower way. And again, we need to look at people earning our vulnerability. That uh, if someone's telling us all that all of that information, sometimes it's okay to say, "Hey, I think I think I we need to kind of work on a relationship, and maybe we can talk about that in the future." And if someone fights you on that, then that's something to really pay attention to because we need to take things a little bit slower. And like you're saying, it's okay to wait six months, a year. Don't talk about you know long term plans until after a year because you can start seeing how people are. And then the first months to six months into a relationship, we have uh, the infatuation stage, which is where you have butterflies and rainbows and you know, all these you know, love songs are written about that, that point. But then it gets into real life. And I think that's the important part is, like you said, that's that six month year mark is where you see how people are when the romantic stuff tends to fade away a little bit. And like you said, too, you know, a healthy relationship, the, the romance kind of builds instead of is kind of thrown at you in the beginning. So we really need to pay attention to what the course of the relationship is. And again, you look at how we're being treated and look at, and see if that is true to what we know about people and what we know about ourselves. Because if you're being told things that aren't true about yourself, if you're told that so many times, people can start to believe it. Mm-hmm. So it's really important that if something feels off, that we really sit with it and go, huh, why does this feel off? Maybe talk to a trusted friend or, or a family member or talk to a therapist about something seems different. I don't know what exactly it is, but it it seems like this might be unhealthy. And again, pay attention to your the, the signals your body's telling you that tell you I mean, that's a feeling in the pit of your stomach or the hair staying on the back of your neck. Something just doesn't feel right. Or you're around this person and when you're around them, you just feel not very good because mm-hmm. we should be around people that lift us up and make us feel uh, okay and make us feel maybe even better about things. And to be around someone that just makes you feel drained is a, is a real red flag. Yeah, and I think you you said something I think is really important. So I just want to highlight it again, which is the honeymoon phase. And I think the problem is because again of this Hollywood romanticized idea, we think mm-hmm. when we feel that we trust that fully, right? And I think it's so important that we know that when we're in that phase, we can't trust our own judgment. And this is again why we need to slow down before making long term decisions, right? Mm-hmm. Because I read an interesting article which talked about how it was the same brain state as similar to people who have OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder, Mm -hmm. which is why we can't stop thinking about them. But it's actually, it's kind of an obsession, a short-term addiction, right? On high levels Mm -hmm. of dopamine, et cetera. Meaning we are not seeing the real picture, which is why things that might be really annoying 10 years later, we think is so charming and great. We are just not seeing, and we don't know this person after three months or six months, right? So I really think, again, this idea of, yeah, time is our friend, you know, so so why mm-hmm. speed is not, you know, going fast is the enemy, why slowing down is our friend, because all this reveals right. itself. And as the honeymoon phase and the hormones stabilize, we can actually start using mm-hmm. logic more. And like you said, look right. at that list and seeing how are we actually compatible, you know, which mm-hmm. we often, I think, negate when we are flooded with dopamine, right? Then we don't really care because it feels so good. So again, I think that's just another argument for why it's good to to slow down and not trust our own mind and know that in the honeymoon phase, the mind plays a lot of tricks on us. <laughs> right, right. And also when you try to leave this type of relationship, the person will do something called hoovering. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's named hoover after the vacuum. So because they try to suck you back into the relationship. So you try to leave and again, they'll do grand gestures or they will uh, consistently call you or show up unannounced or have behaviors that that are designed to make you feel like things are going to be okay if you get back together with them. And it's really important to look at the fact that these relationships tend to not get better. They tend to decrease in quality over time. So that person may promise you all the things that you've wanted, but when you get back into that relationship, it goes back to status quo uh, right away. So that's something to pay attention to. And also you'll have friends and family members that may send messages from that person. So, uh, you send, you tell them ahead of time, Hey, if you hear anything from this person, I don't want to talk about it. I'm not entertaining any messages that they may be sending through you. Uh, and also it's important to go radio silence. What that means is blocking their phone numbers, blocking their emails, uh, not answering unknown numbers because they will try to get you back. Now, again, they may never fully say they're sorry, 
but they will tell you all the things that you've wanted to hear. And again, this is a ploy for them to get their narcissistic supply back. So it's really important to identify that they will try to get you back by any means necessary. And I think you said something really important because one of the main things I read on the forums was people kept clinging on. I call it, it's part of the state of denial, I guess, in the grieving process, but people Mm -hmm. refuse to accept that they wouldn't get better and change. And I think it's really Mm -hmm. important that people hear this. Narcissists do not get better. Neither do social psychopaths. Borderline can improve to some extent, but it's a lot of hard work and most of them don't stick to therapy because of the part of their condition. Mm-hmm. But narcissists, social psychopaths do not get better. Even I read a report that said that actually they even get worse because to some extent they just learn to understand and manipulate other people better mm-hmm. when they go in therapy. So actually they tend to get worse, not better. So they're not going to improve in a relationship it's not going back. I think we get stung and holding on to this idolization stage because it felt so good that people keep saying, oh, but surely this person will come back. And I think the most important realization for me to heal was to realize that person was never real. We need to understand right. that, you know, if you're a victim who's stuck in this, that person does not exist. So the idea right. that we will come back to that, you can't go back to something that never existed. It was manufactured right. short term to suck us in, Right which it obviously did and create that addiction. But I just really want people to know that so they can hopefully let go of this state of denial where they think maybe they will come back. No, like you said, so right. It's it's the same or gets worse. Most of the time gets worse over time, Mm -hmm. you know? Right. And I think that that most people, again, hope that someone has good intentions and that they will respect someone's space and care for them. But again, these are people that, do not think about or don't care about how things impact other people. It's about fulfilling their needs. And I I think that we all, to some extent, fit into that where we kind of put our needs ahead of others. And and self-care is a little bit different than what I'm talking about. Uh, But this is about where you're also willfully hurting someone. And uh, when we talk about things like borderline, narcissistic, uh, sociopaths, they're all within what's called a cluster B of personality disorders. And so they share some common traits. And sometimes people uh, that may have not met the diagnosis about these tendencies, it could have been that they grew up in a household where the parents behave this way. And so they learn this as a coping mechanism. It could be that sometimes I think people just what I call have bad wiring. Uh, and some people intentionally do this behavior. I think the important thing is, is that they're still 100% responsible for their behavior. So it's very important that if you're in a relationship with someone like this, if you do want to continue to pursue the relationship, it could be that the two of you take a break and this person must attend therapy. Uh, And when you have narcissistic personality disorder or other personality disorders, you tend to have what's called an egocentric personality. And that means that you think that everyone else has a problem and you're fine. So you tend to not go to therapy because you feel like you can do therapy better than the therapist does. Or what you do is you bring your partner in for couples therapy and you tell the therapist, hey, fix this person. This is, you know, there's something wrong with them. And good therapists, most therapists should be able to identify that that's what's going on is that the person is not taking responsibility for their behavior. So the chances of your partner going for therapy, if they have a personality disorder are pretty low. Uh, But again, you can make that as a condition is that we are going to separate and not be in a relationship until you, you have gone to, you know, therapy for X amount of months. Uh, And sometimes what people do is they'll go once and they'll say, no, I'm, I'm good. The therapist said I'm fine. Uh, And you'll hear that a lot from your partner that really needs help. So again, it's okay to take a break from the relationship and see if that person actually fulfills doing some self-improvement work uh, before you consider getting back together with them. And I also want to mention too, cognitive empathy. Another red flag of this type of personality is that they will ask you how your day is, but there's no feeling or caring behind it. It's very robotic. Uh, It's almost like they are what I call putting on a human skin. So they are asking you questions that they know are just typical questions you ask in a relationship. Uh, or they will tell you, oh, I'm sorry to hear that, but there's no feeling behind it. And I think we all know what that's like when we look at someone, you can tell that there's no emotion there. And I think that's another thing to look for is cognitive empathy, where they're saying the empathy words, but there's no feeling behind it. Mm-hmm. And we also need to look at what are these people doing rather than what they're saying. They can promise you the world, but what are they actually doing? Yeah. And again, like like you said, look at how they treat other people, because one day that's how mm-hmm. they're going to treat you. I think in the beginning, we often, like you said, get the love bombing. So it feels great for us. They give us this mm-hmm. 
treat us like we are a god, like almost, right? Like right. you said, put us on a pedestal. So for us, we think, oh, they're the greatest person. But like you said, we might see suddenly how horrible they are to the waiter or the cab driver, etc. And just mm-hmm. notice that because the fact is the way they treat these people is how you will be treated later. And I think that's important right. to kind of, which is why, like you said, it's good to see how they're treating the waiter. You know, how they treat right. it. If suddenly they don't get special treatment, do they get upset? Do they get angry? Do they get hostile? Do they refuse to tip? And just notice this and, and realize that, that that is probably a real part of them, not this, you know, beautiful mm-hmm. love bombing that you're seeing. But I wanted to talk to you because your book is about gaslighting. So I really mm-hmm. want to dive into some of these. You talked about prediction. I mentioned, I think, intermittent reinforcement in the beginning. And talk a bit about this web that I myself and so many people have experienced that because mm-hmm. it's very subtle, right? And I think people often think, oh, I was spotted. They must have been stupid. They didn't see it. You know, I used to create social and emotional learning programs for children. Mm-hmm. So I've worked with lots of, you know, psychologists, neuroscientists that understand it pretty well, but it can be so slow and subtle. And I'd never right. studied manipulation and didn't understand the psychology of manipulation. So I got caught up in this as well, meaning it can happen to a lot of people, even, you know, well-educated mm-hmm. people, which is why I really think right. it's important we talk about how these strategies look like. Would you be able to talk at least about a few of them at least and just give some examples of how that slowly weans into the relationship. Sure. So uh, first, I just say that no one is immune to this type of personality. Like you said, you, know, you have a great deal of experience in emotion regulation and learning, and you were in a relationship with someone like this. So I think that we need, really need to look at the fact that no one is immune, especially uh, if it's friends or family that may not fully understand what, what a person in this type of relationship is going through. Uh, it's important to note that that um, that anyone's vulnerable. Uh, therapists have gotten in relationships with people that are narcissists. So I mean, it's, it's very common. I think, especially if you're in a helping profession, I think that uh, people in helping professions, we tend to be more understanding of a wider range of behavior. And I think that's part of why people that are gaslighters may tend to target us because I think we're more vulnerable and more accepting than other people. But again, it's really important to, to hold up those boundaries. And I think also that in those professions too, there tend there tends to be a little bit of rescuing going on. Yeah. And so we need to make sure that we're not trying to rescue or fix someone. Yeah. We need to look at how the person is now, not exactly what their potential is yeah. too. Uh, so again, we need to look at how is this person treating us? How are they treating pets? Um, another thing that you'll see is either they will treat pets better than anyone that they will, you know, any human, or they will neglect their pet or abuse them. And I think that's something you really need to look at. Uh, if you're in a relationship with this person, you have a pet, notice how the pet reacts. Sometimes they will be defensive towards the person. They know they are very good judges of character. So they will know if the person is not okay. And also, if you leave this relationship, you need to take your pet with you. Uh, it's a little trickier if, if they have the pet going to the relationship, but you need to take them with you uh, because of the potential for neglect or abuse. Or if you share a pet, um, they will use that against you uh, and try to use it to lure you back in. So it's important that you take that with you. Uh, sometimes people have to leave in the middle of the night uh, because leaving during the day, uh, they will be coerced or uh, or guilted into staying. Uh, and sometimes you just need to leave and have, um, and you may not be able to take all your belongings with you. Uh, it's important to keep a bag in your car of important documents uh, and other things that you need change of clothes if you do need to leave the house quickly. Uh, it's important to have that on board with you. And also pay attention to what it feels like when you're not feeling safe. Uh, if this has escalated physical abuse, know that the time that you leave is the most lethal time. Uh, so it's important that you have some protection. So you're in a location where the person does not know where you are. Uh, you ask your friends and family member to not disclose anything to the person about your location. Uh, there are also uh, abuse services available where they will um, they have places that you can go that are not um, kind of findable. Uh, so it's important that you protect your safety and again, have a kind of to-go bag in your car. Because again, these things do not tend to get better. They tend to get worse. And also when you stand up for your needs or your wants, you will see that narcissistic rage kick in. Mm -hmm. So that's where the person gets uh, not only angry, but angry to the point where it seems like they're blacking out. Mm -hmm. And again, they're still 100% responsible for their behavior, but that's when you need to leave because your safety is a concern. So again, when you stand up to this person, they have narcissistic rage and it's 
it's not something where you can talk irrationally to someone or talk them down from that. That's when you need to leave the situation. Mm-hmm. So I know that's a little bit about, um, I could go into more, mm-hmm. um, but I know that touches a little bit on, on what you were um, kind of wanting me to yeah, I want to talk about this a bit later, actually, if we get time. I don't know how much time, because I think mm-hmm. also, like you said, and I think it's so true when you leave. Also, I find that blocking them is so important. One, because they were who were you in, as you described earlier. And once we are still in that state of shaking, when we break up, you're very vulnerable. So it's easier to be sucked back in. And again, I think that what I found was that when you treat people trying to get out of these relationships, we actually have to treat them like an addict. Somebody is addicted to alcohol or drugs because you become addicted to getting this fix from this person again and getting that little validation again, right? So it is like Mm -hmm. an addiction. And we know that if you try to get out of drugs or alcohol, you need to not have access to drugs or alcohol. Otherwise, in a moment of weakness, you're going to drink again. You're going to take a shot, right? And this is the same. So, you know, you must basically block them out of your life. And if you have a child, a house, get a third party, a solicitor, whatever, a friend, somebody Mm -hmm. else to talk to them. I always say don't do it directly because you will feel weak in some moment, vulnerable, going on your sadness, your grief. Mm -hmm. And that's when we get sucked back in again and the pattern restarts, right? Right. It's important to have a witness. And like you said, a solicitor or attorney, if you have children together, because uh, what's usually recommended is a very detailed parenting plan where you get into fine print about when you'll exchange the children at what location, because people like this will try to subvert the plan or they will try to undermine it or they will try to uh, purposely do things that go against the plan. So it's very important you have as detailed as possible. There need to be uh, many different kinds of rules place because this person lives for bending the rules and upsetting you. And also a a solicitor attorney will be able to tell you uh, what your rights are in that situation. Because again, sometimes you just can't completely cut off contact, especially if you have children or share property. So so that's important to look at is always get legal uh, help with that. Uh, Also, uh, it's important to note too, that the breakups from these types of relationships, like you said, there's because of it's like a drug or addiction, there's a withdrawal phase. And the breakups can be pretty rough. They can be more emotionally intense than other breakups you've had <laughs> yes. uh, to, to the point where people can feel suicidal. So it's important that you reach out to a mental health professional, a call a crisis line if you're feeling suicidal, and to know that at the end of these relationships, especially when someone's trying to pull you back in, and that can be really tempting, uh, to, to have that uh, relationship end because you've had intermittent reinforcement. Uh, it can be pretty devastating. And just to acknowledge that that's a normal part of this relationship ending is that you are going to feel something more intense than you may have had previously. And I think counseling can really help uh, work through those stages of that. Yeah. And I think that's actually important because also when we realize that maybe our ex-partner had a personality disorder, I know it's so tempting. We want to tell them. And I always say, don't do that. Get support, like you said, from a therapist where you can tell about your discovery, somebody who can acknowledge you. First of all, mm-hmm. they're never going to acknowledge. Okay, so the acknowledgement that right. you want to feel soothed, you're never going to get from them. But you can get it from a therapist right. who can hear you. Right. Second of all, if you tell them they have a personality disorder, their rage will often turn against you and it will actually become even worse. And I experienced that. And suddenly right. I got false police accusations, et cetera, et cetera. Right. And actually your life become even more difficult. So. I know once you realize this, you want to talk to somebody about it. And as you said, that's when they should go to people like you because you can hear them. You can acknowledge them. They are not going to get that from a cluster B. They're only going to get more rage. So I just want to, you know, add that because I know that for many other people. And I experienced that myself Mm -hmm. when I had the need to go tell her that I knew this and it definitely backfired. Um, Right. And I have a lot of people ask me that. Should I tell the person that I think they have this? And yeah, usually don't, because again, you know, the egocentric personality says that they're not going to believe you anyway. Exactly. Uh, And then then usually what happens is it gets flipped on you. So you'll have gaslighters accuse you of gaslighting. That's right. Uh, And you will have uh, people that are narcissists accuse you of being a narcissist. And that's a very common tactic, because, again, this person doesn't think there's anything wrong with their behavior. And again, they distract from their behavior by pointing it towards you. And that's usually what happens anytime you bring up any kind of concern is that it turns back to you, that you're being too sensitive, you're being told or that that, you know, you just need to deal with it or you're told that your needs are less than. And that's something we really need to pay attention to is that you have a right to express your needs in a relationship in a healthy relationship. 
express your needs and, and you talk about it. And if you have a concern, the two of you talk it through. And that does not happen in this relationship. You are told that 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 person, that the narcissist is the one that makes the rules and that you have to follow and get in line. Yeah. And again, that's something we really need to pay attention to when that power imbalance happens. And, and I think, again, we, we sense that. And we need to pay attention to when things do not feel equal. Because again, what a healthy relationship looks like is you have equal parties, right? And you talk about things and you can express yourself and someone's tender with your tender spots and also calls you out when you're, when you're behaving in a way that's not okay for them. And that's a healthy relationship. It's not one where someone gets away with everything because, uh, because if you mention something, they're going to get into a rage. Yeah. So and, again, we really need to look at with our logical brain and what's healthy versus unhealthy. And you said something important because I think we talked about boundaries. You know, a toxic person don't respect your boundaries. A healthy person do. But I would also say what you said here is it will not just not just around boundaries, but I think in general when we express ourselves in a healthy relationship, we acknowledge each other's experience. What will happen in a toxic mm -hmm. relationship is they always disacknowledge your experience. And acknowledging is not the same as agreeing. I think people misunderstand that. We all have allowed to have our own opinion right. and disagree, but mm -hmm. we can still acknowledge right. our partner. You know, I can see, yes, I hear you, that you got really upset right. I'm late and I really apologize for that. Here's the reason I was late, but I still acknowledge that it was frustrating for you that I was late, right? That's what happens in a healthy, mm -hmm. in a toxic one. It would just be disacknowledged, right? I maybe say, right. you know, oh, you're so hypersensitive. You get so upset over that. I was just half an hour late. And then I try to push it away and make you the issue, right? by saying you're mm -hmm. hypersensitive right. or whatever. And I think right. that's a good thing, like you said, that toxic is when people disacknowledge your experience. While mm -hmm. in a healthy relationship, people will acknowledge your experience even if they disagree with you, right? Right. And also in a healthy relationship, you're not responsible for what the other person feels or thinks. Yeah. So if you say, this is how I feel, and they say, no, that's not how you feel. I can tell that you did this instead. Mm -hmm. you, that you're not responsible for that. You know your truth. And so you say, you know, I know what my feelings are and my thoughts are. And you say, you know what, you can feel this way and that's okay. Yeah. You, right. you, you don't tell me how I feel and what how I think because that's mine. And I think that that's what we get into is sometimes when someone's narcissist, they will tell us what we feel and think. And sometimes, again, if someone tells you that enough, you start believing it. So it's important that to know that you are not responsible for the other person's feelings. They may say to you, well, I got mad at you because this, or I cheated because this. No, they, they did those things on their own yeah. and that you are not responsible for someone else. And that gets into issues with codependence that we really have to look at. Are we hurting ourselves in order to keep that person happy? Yeah. And that's kind of root of codependence is putting your needs aside to fulfill the needs of someone else. Yeah, actually, and there's a lot of, of great information out there about codependence and how to help yourself with that. Oh, go ahead. No, I just think you brought up, I don't, I don't have you for much longer. And I think it's important mm -hmm. to, to quickly address this, because this is also why if you're coming out of these relationships, it's so important to go to therapy, because like you said, everybody can be a target. But I find the typical people they target are people who are in a vulnerable place who are either highly mm -hmm. anxious attached, which again, what you also mentioned as mm -hmm. codependency, that's, you know, is a right. high, high form of anxious attachment. And it's often people, which is also like you said, why they target therapists. They often target people who are highly empathetic, um, but also they tend to look at people who have low boundaries, right? Who tend to let people right. things slide. And like you said, who don't say, no, actually this is my space, like mm -hmm. you said. So I think going to therapy afterwards, I found was so helpful at starting to look at our own, it doesn't mean we are to blame at all. Like you said, they're responsible right. for their actions and their actions are not okay. Mm -hmm. It's not about taking blame, but still seeing that in any dance, we have a part, even if we were wrongly treated, right? And right. our part and our pattern might be, like you said, we have codependence, a highly anxious attached, which is also mm -hmm. why their intensity is so addictive. And I realized that mm -hmm. when I had some anxious attachment, because this is why being glorified feels so good because you suddenly feel you're special. Mm -hmm. You get that validation. Well, what I realized as I healed and became more securely attached, somebody showering me with that affection didn't actually feel good anymore. It actually became a right. turn off as I felt secure, which is why I realized that it had something to do with my attachment style at the time that made that love bombing so addictive. Now, if somebody did that, I would just feel, well, this is, you know, you got issues because this is so out of place. And you're obviously not, right. this is not about me. It's you in some fantasy world. Um, right. So I think Learning attachment style, very important yeah. to learn your attachment style, to work towards secure attachment. 
Yeah, and again, practice with a therapist like you how to deal with boundaries, mm-hmm. right? How to do that because again, if we mm-hmm. can do that, they will normally leave. It's I say they're like a lion in the out in the savanna, you know. And if they see a gazelle that's mm-hmm. injured, that's the one they come after. But if they know you can mm-hmm. run fast, then they're not gonna bother chasing you. And I think that's a bit how boundary right. is, right? They know that you're the fast gazelle, so they just move mm-hmm. on. Um, but I think, do you have some other tips? You mentioned quickly breakup tips to to obviously make sure mm-hmm. you're safe. Um, we talked about blocking them if possible. Um, what right. are some other ways? Because again, one of the things we talked about was the addiction you feel because of intermittent reinforcement. What are ways that people can try yeah, and break that really addictive bond? And I know how addictive it is. Mm-hmm. Even when you logically know this is not a healthy person for you, right. you still feel sucked in and make excuses for them because you're stuck in an addiction. Like, What are ways to try and break that? I think it's also important to reconnect with people we've been isolated from, healthy uh, friends and family. And again, I say healthy because it may be after you've been in a relationship with this person, you can see in other people in your life this kind of pattern of behavior. So we need to reconnect with healthy people and make sure that we take ourselves out of isolation, no matter how isolated or how uh, how much we want to fold in, we need to reach out to those people, the people that knew us before the relationship. I think that's extremely important. I also find that um, interacting in your community, uh, one of the ways that you can kind of rebuild and heal from this is just by volunteering in the community, giving of your time, uh, because you, when we're able to stay busy and also focus on our own healing, I think ten, things tend to go a lot better uh, if we leave this relationship, if we give of ourselves and not in an unhealthy way, but in in doing it in a healthy way, such as volunteering or altruism. Uh, Also, I think too, again, sticking with therapy, uh, you may meet some a therapist that you don't really click with, or you just don't feel like it's a good match. That's totally okay. Uh, we are going to meet people in life that we click with and don't click with, so it's okay to meet another therapist that you know, meet with a few until you find one that you like. Also, uh, if you're not sleeping, if you're not sleeping, it really takes a toll on your emotional health. So if you do need to meet with your doctor and maybe temporarily get on medication to help you sleep, that's okay. Uh, if you need to get on medication because of uh, your experiencing depression, that's okay too. Uh, so reach out to your healthcare providers. I think after, especially after this relationship, it's really good to go see your doctors, get a checkup, see how you're doing, get your health on track because people uh, that are toxic will try to undermine your health because again, you'll become more dependent on them. Yeah. So another tip that, and I have to run. So I know, uh, I know, but thank I you know. so much for having me on the podcast. I really appreciate Could it. Could you just quickly let people know where they can find you? Um, sure, sure. It's stephaniesarkis.com. It's S-T-E-P-H-A-N-I-E-S-A-R-K-I-S. And there's free articles on there, links, uh, recommended books, uh, all sorts of resources if you are in this type of relationship. Thank you so much, Stephanie, for coming on. And I hope you have a good session with your client. Thank you. Take care. Have a great day. Bye. Bye. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you get our new podcast episodes on how to avoid, deal with, and recover from toxic relationships and difficult breakups. Also, leave a review. It really helped me stay motivated and keep making more of these episodes. For more free resources on how to avoid and recover from toxic relationships and difficult breakups, just check out the link in the description. You can also grab the free guide and free webinar, giving you the tools to spot toxic dating partners and heal if you've been unlucky to date one. I've also just launching the toxic toxic relationship recovery program that will teach you everything you need to know on how to stay clear of toxic dating partners, develop a shield so they don't target you, spot all the red flags and manipulation strategies, make better partner choices, and how to heal and end people-pleasing and get clear boundaries so you never have to go through this again. You can find the link in the description. Stay safe and I'll see you in the next episode.